Well, welcome back. What a show we have today. I have three questions for you, though. Number one, if you had the opportunity to ask a successful CEO any question you wanted to, what would it be? Number two, what do you do to help build a trust-based culture in your organization? What can you do? And number three, do you think it's easier to be the leader at the top? Those are three questions that we're going to talk about in just a minute. Here we go. Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. So today's segment is a very special segment. You can see my hard hat here. This is TD Industries, my sponsor from the beginning, and I am so proud of that. TD is celebrating its 75th anniversary. What a feat. TD is a values-driven premier mechanical construction and facility services organization. It's employee-owned, and it's guided by true servant leadership. At TD, everyone is called a partner. We're honored to have with us today the legacy leader who was at TD for 52 years and served as CEO since 1980 and then board chair on the board of directors through 2016. I got to ask lots of questions to Jack Lowe, and many were from you actually, our loyal listeners. And so I can't wait, let's get started. Welcome Jack Lowe. Thank you, Valerie. You're in my living room, I can't believe it. <laughs> glad to be here, glad to be here. <laughs> and you know, Jack, when we had our pre-interview, which thank you again for taking, my goodness, you almost took an hour and a half with me. <laughs> Sorry. That was awesome. <laughs> no, I learned the backstory. And you know, so much of the stories that we have on our show, what makes them so powerful is learning the backstory, learning about you, the man, not just you, the CEO of a successful company. And so I have to tell you, my listeners, what I, I said. I said, I feel like I need to say Mr. Lowe. And you just quickly said, I'm Jack, <laughs> just like that. And then we went. And so, um, first of all, I want to thank you for your service in our armed services in the Navy. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. As well as your service at TD. So we want to we talk today on this show, Jack, about the journey of the company and the journey of you in the company. Um, your dad, when he started the company, came out of the military. Right. I'm just going to sit back. I've got my coffee water in hand. And I want you just to tell us a little bit about those early beginnings 75 years ago. Yeah. Well, of course, I was six years old, so I don't, <laughs> don't remember it all too well. I certainly wasn't involved in any of the planning. But uh, when dad got out of the military, moved back to Dallas. We moved back to Dallas. We've been living in Georgia and uh, uh, moved in with his mother in a one-bedroom, one-bath duplex. Uh, my mother and dad and my sister and I all lived there for several months. 
and uh, Dad started TD Industries, called it Text Distributors back then. And uh, a, uh, his aunt, his mother's sister, uh, owned an automotive supply store in downtown Dallas, and she uh, lent him, or back, I think, signed a note for ten thousand dollars. And that's uh, a lot of money back, back then. Back then, yeah, <laughs> and let him uh, set a desk up in the warehouse of her little store. And uh, I remember riding a streetcar down there to see him, but uh, and that's how it started. And uh, a year or so later, they built their first little office and up on Live Oak, and. Um, Rest is history. What did he do? What did he start doing out right out of the services? And well, he wanted to be in the distribution business, okay. Texas distributors. Problem was, you couldn't get anything to distribute right after the war. So they started servicing water coolers and ah. window air conditioners and little whatever they could find to work on. Hmm. And uh, and it evolved over time to what it is today, where. Uh, you know, building huge buildings and oh my goodness. managing all kinds of facilities. And how big is the company now? How many offices and and where you service? Uh, well, uh, let's see. Headquarters in Dallas. Mm -hmm. Have another office in Richardson, uh, an office in Fort Worth, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, Phoenix, and Denver. Mm -hmm. and I think I got a couple of little offices out in West Texas. So I don't even know about that. <laughs> And uh, their uh, last year, or year before last, they did about seven hundred million in revenue and had about three thousand employees. That went down about ten percent uh, this year, which is not much compared to what a lot of other companies oh, have done. That's for sure. But uh, and they think it'll rebound this year. But, of course, uh, it will. We'll see. Then go back to the company started and it started being successful. Now you were growing up. Yeah. And went to school. Tell us about that. What did well, you want to be when you grew up? Uh, well, I didn't know. <laughs> I, didn't know. <laughs> I was just cruising along, but uh, I got uh, oh, uh, graduated from high school in '57. Uh, went. I was a football player. Had several or number of scholarship offers. Uh, went to Rice, where Dad had gone, and uh, uh, and didn't get to play because my knee got messed up, and I never mm -hmm. played much. But uh, uh, so uh, I was an engineer. Dad was an electrical engineer. I was taking electrical engineering too. Took uh, after you, but, Dad. But uh, I thought uh, when I got out of the Navy, I uh, enrolled in uh, Harvard to get an MBA, and uh, my intention was to uh, be uh, CEO of General Electric. Uh, Why not? Modest ambition. Mm -hmm. uh, and my wife just gotten out of college she she had uh well I was, uh, you thank me for my service in the navy i was in the navy for two years i got navy pay but i was actually assigned to the manned spacecraft center working with the first three groups of astronauts as a for technical support there's about eight or ten of us that were technical support to the first three groups of astronauts uh but uh so my wife got the grad finish her degree at rice and uh got a teaching certificate and we went to Boston and thought, well, she's going to get a job as a teacher and I'll go to Harvard and we won't build up too bad a debt. And uh, this was nine months after Kennedy had been assassinated in Dallas and she couldn't get a job because of that. And so came back to Dallas and uh, went to work for dad. <laughs> well, did you just uh, walk in one day? How did you? Well, I phoned him. I said, uh, you know, I'm 
decided not to stay. I was in my dorm. I mean, we were there. Mm -hmm. And it was a week before school started. And said, uh, you know, what do you think about me coming to work for you? And he says, well, let me think about it. So uh, a couple of days later, he called me back and said, okay. <laughs> What's there to think about? <laughs> I expect he wanted to talk to some others and stuff. I don't know. I, that's what he said to me. And uh, then he said, okay. So I came back and went to work as a gopher in the service department, checking invoices and piddling around. What was it like to work for your dad and piddle around from the bottom? Because yeah. he didn't just say, here, son, here's a department. No, 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 no. I, I didn't work for dad. Well, probably six or eight years later, mm -hmm. uh, when uh, after a year or so in the service department, they moved me over to the uh, wholesale department. We still had Texas distributors. We were in the wholesale business at the time. And uh, the guy had been one of the first guys dad hired, Fred Addison, that was running that. And uh, he kept giving me all his work, seemed like. And I thought, well, come on, uh, <laughs> you can do your stuff and let me do, because I had some other stuff I was supposed to do too. And then all of a sudden, a few years into it, uh, he retired. Nobody, dad didn't know it was going to happen. Oh. Nobody knew it was going to happen. But he had, uh, his estate had come into some money and he just, and so he was just getting me ready, as it turned out. Uh, he mostly irritating me, but it turned out he was getting me ready. So, uh, so I, I ran the, the wholesale business there for uh, ten years, and then, uh, but that's when I started working directly for Dad. And so, then what happened in terms of these living room sets? Well, settings. Yeah, see, I got there in '64. Uh, in the late '60s, maybe '70. Uh, there, we were going through some growing pains mm -hmm. and, uh, what dad decided to do was have a series of all day meetings with typically 15, 16, 17 partners from around the country, around the company. Mm -hmm. There's about 300 altogether back then. Uh, and, uh, and that you would be, wouldn't be a department. It would be randomly selected from around the company. Your immediate supervisor would not be there. And dad had come across this little pamphlet by Robert Greenleaf called The Servant as Leader. And when you got your invitation to come to the meeting, uh, it was in there and it said, this is one of the things we're gonna talk about. And we were just talking about what's going on and we were sort of struggling and had a lot of people that were moving into leadership roles that were struggling in their leadership roles. And, uh, and you know, we were typically <laughs> taking the best plumber, making plumbing foreman and the best accountant <laughs> and making accounting manager. and and they had tons of experience and expertise in plumbing or accounting or engineering or whatever it was, but not much in leadership. Mm -hmm. And as complicated as plumbing is, it's not near as complicated as people. And so um, out of these all day, six, eight hour discussions, uh, and maybe two hours were spent on this, this pamphlet, they were talking about all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, came the, the, it took about a year and a half to get to everybody in the company. Uh, and uh, two things, a lot of things came out of it, but two big things. One, our first ever sort of mission statement, uh, we called it a people objective. And I, I can't like tell you exactly what it said, but it says, uh, you know, people are important here to the extent one person doesn't succeed, that's a major failure or something like that. But the other thing we uh, came out of it is 
we kind of like this idea of servant leadership. We don't understand it. We don't know what to do with it, but we're going to embrace it as our model. And we're going to try and figure out how to build it into our company. And so we've been working at that for 50 years and hadn't built a perfect servant leader yet, but we've made a lot of progress. You mean people aren't ever going to get perfect? No, darn them. Not yet, darn them. <laughs> Damn humans. <laughs> you know, one of the things you said was that uh, I can just picture this, and I'm so glad we're in a living room set because you said your mom cooked spaghetti and meat sauce for every group. Yep. And and it would have been nice had she been able to do that night after night, but yeah, not have to rearrange the right, living room. Right. Because we had to move all the furniture back and put the chairs in a circle every time, and then she'd move them all back. <laughs> but Dad's no, I need some time between these meetings to think about what, what the last well, one said. That makes sense. Yeah, well, but, what we know is that food is an equalizer. Yeah. And so, you know, um, since we are in my living room, Jack, I have something that's not quite the same as your mom's meat sauce and spaghetti, but it's from the same country. And I'd like to give it to you and have you open it up. Oh, my goodness. And so there you are. Wow. It's lasagna. Lasagna. It, you don't have to open okay, it, okay. but you take that home I and will. you Thank eat you. it <laughs> <laughs> Thank as you. a memory for those days. Thank because you. I want your welcome. I want to pull back to that, the servant leadership. We hear about that all the time. And I shared with you that I became a part of uh, the servant leadership movement. Right. So I'm very familiar with it. Of course. It's hard to explain to people what it is. You've been doing it now for many years. How do you operationalize something called servant leadership? Well, uh, trying to think. What we did tons of not training, development. Development. <laughs> and McGee Cooper says it's not training; it's development. Right. Uh, around servant leadership. At first. Uh, Bob Greenleaf, the author, uh, dad was buying these things. He was also using them in the community. He was very active in the community. I get people today tell me, your dad gave me that pamphlet in 1972. Isn't that something? <laughs> but uh, uh, so he was buying hundreds of them. And uh, Bob wrote him, said, uh, you know, you're 90% of my business. What are you doing with those things? So we were the first, dad was the first guy to really buy a bunch of those pamphlets. And uh so Bob and Esther, his wife, came down and spoke to groups, uh, you know, and we'd get some people together in the evening, and and uh, he talked to us, and uh, Willis Tate, who was the uh, chancellor, head guy at SMU, I don't know what the title is, mm -hmm. uh, was a friend of Dad's, and he did, I think, five lectures on leadership, and uh, but then uh, Mother introduced Dad to Ann McGee Cooper, and uh, she was a young professor and uh he asked her they gave her the pamphlet and asked her to read it and come back and said can you help us build some courses around this and she said yes and she did it for 45 years or whatever long it was long time till she died what five years ago or so yes yeah her she and her organization yeah. and uh so but we had uh golly we had uh 
Stephen Covey came and spoke to us. Uh, we used to go see Peter Drucker in uh, New York regularly. Tell us about that. That's well, that's pretty amazing. Well, it was it was pretty neat. Uh, we'd search uh, the four or five key execs and our wives, uh, and so it was a little bit of a boondoggle too. We'd go to New York and go to two days of uh, lectures or presentations by Peter Drucker. And before that, we had read, he, you know, he wrote a lot of books. A lot of books. But he, one, his big one was called Management. It was mm -hmm. a big old red back book. And we had a breakfast group that met, I think, every Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock for like a year and a half and read through that thing. Hmm. We'd read, you know, the next chapter and we'd talk as far as we could. And then we'd go home, go, go to work, and then get back together. So we studied his, that book mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, but, uh, so we'd go up there and, and, uh, listen to that. And, um, he, uh, he, he and, uh, uh Bob Greenleaf coincidentally had been next door neighbors at one time in California. I didn't know that. And, uh, uh, uh he told me that, uh, uh, Esther, uh, disapproved of him drinking Coca-Cola cause it had Coke in it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the worst he did. Yeah. But uh, uh, I, I asked, I don't know, Drucker, doc, probably it was a doctor, I probably called him Dr. Drucker. Dr. Drucker. Uh, uh, you could go up, you know, at, at the end and he'd sign books and shake yeah. your hand. And I said, uh, Bob Greenleaf told me he knows you. Uh, do you know him? And he said, I can remember exactly what he said. He said, Bob Greenleaf, one of the few truly wise men I've ever known. Mm. And... Uh, He'd known a lot of people. Mm. Uh, so, uh, and he used to have Greenleaf up to his classes when he was teaching at New York University. Mm -hmm. I think it was New York University. He'd have him come in. It's while it, Greenleaf was still at AT&T, I think. You know, those, those movements, one man, one man can start a movement. One woman can start a movement. Yeah. One child can start a movement. A great idea. A true idea, yeah, and you built the whole company around it. In terms of servant leadership, I want to stay on it for just one more moment, Jack, because the value of it is is just what it says. It's leading leadership with the mindset that you are a servant to the people. Those led, yeah, right. Not over the people, but through the people. Yeah, we actually. Uh draw our org chart upside down. Do you? With the CEO at the bottom and the frontline workers at the top and the customers above that. Mm. Sometimes we drive both ways. But. I like that. <laughs> so when, when it's all said and done and all the employees are called partners, do they hold each other accountable? Yes. How? Uh, well, we say a lot of things, but two big things. If you want to work at TD, you got to do two things. You got to produce business results, whatever your responsibility is, uh, and you have to help those around you grow. Mm -hmm. And if you can't do both of those things, that's what servant leadership is helping those around you grow. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the best organizations and the best departments within TD uh, build more people than they need. Mm -hmm. And uh, the worst ones need more people than they build. And uh, uh, I, we are, TD is a net exporter of talent, and I'm proud of that. I think we build more talent than we need. And uh, 
Uh, and we have terminated highly profitable executives uh, that were not building people. Mm. That one, you've got to do both. Yeah, you got to. And <laughs> when I've done it a time or two, I've thought uh, a lot of people are going to be upset. And what I mostly got is where you been, stupid. I could have told you that <laughs> I shouldn't have been here. <laughs> Why didn't you just tell them, Jack? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, you had, you had a, a wonderful two other people that worked tightly with you. Yeah. I'd love for you to share about the trio. Yeah. And and who they were, how you came to work so closely together, and why that was important. Yeah. Well, it's Ben Houston and Bob Ferguson. Mm -hmm. uh, ben got there several years ahead of me, and uh, uh, he, he was uh, his folks were friends of my folks. And uh, that's how they got connected. And one of the things uh, Ben asked Dad when he was interviewing him, was I going to come to work there? Because I uh, thought, you know, he was sort of thinking maybe I'll be CEO someday. And uh, Dad said no. And he didn't think so, and I didn't think so. Turned out uh, that wasn't right. But anyway, uh, so then Bob, I hired him three or four years after I got there uh, from Texas Power and Light. And so the three of us worked together for 40 years. And uh, uh, one of the, the uh, yeah, as I told you, my wife told me to say, I find this interesting. Uh, I find this interesting. <laughs> uh, I like we, that. When we were hiring new people, particularly the mid-level or higher people, we had an industrial psychologist that would do them, you know, Myers-Briggs test, personality tests. I don't know what they all were. And we were using that as part of our screening process. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow Bob and Ben and I said, why don't we go do that? Let's go take that stuff. So we did. And uh, up to then, I think we were different. And I think each of us thought it would be better. We're good. We like each other, but it'd be better if you two guys were more like me. And Ben thought, if you two guys were more like me. And Bob, same. Uh, so we did. And then the guys met with us individually and then met with us together and said, you guys are really different. And so that's good. And what you need to do is use the strengths of each of you. And so when you got a big construction project that's in trouble, send Ben Houston in. He'll get, he'll fix it. He's the fix it guy. Yeah. If you got a operation somewhere that's sort of struggling with their mojo, send Bob down. He'll talk to them and help them do some strategic planning and get them aligned again. And I don't know what I did, but uh, uh, so anyway, and so that really changed, you know, the next 25 years after we uh -huh. sort of said it's good that we're different, not wish we were more right. the same. Yeah. You know, that's so fascinating because even today, Jack, I find that you tell me if you think this is true or not. People hire, train and promote in their own image. That's still going on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I disagree with it, but I. Yeah. Um, we can't all be alike. No. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, oh, so many things to talk about with you. You, Your dad was very involved in education. Uh-huh. And I so appreciated your story about him. What he was really involved with was race relations. Okay. And uh, But uh, the uh, they were de trying to desegregate schools across the South, but in Dallas, and uh, they submitted a couple plans that the local judge had approved, but the Fifth Circuit disapproved. Hmm. And the judge knew dad. 
and knew that dad was trusted across the races. And so he asked dad to put together a group. Uh, dad put pulled 20 people together, uh, leaders from each of the races, and uh, to try and come up with a segregation plan. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, they worked at it for eight or nine months. And everybody knew who was on this committee. They called it a task force. Uh, but uh, so the papers were all trying to, you know, get them to tell what's going on. But nobody said anything. They were just, they met, I think, every Tuesday afternoon uh, for eight or nine months. And uh, then uh, one day, Dad was downtown walking to a meeting and uh, collapsed uh, on the mm. street. Mm. And uh, ambulance came, took him to the hospital. Turned out he'd had heart failure, not a heart attack, but heart failure. Uh, I don't know what the difference is, but, uh, and they put a pacemaker in him. He was in there two or three weeks and the group fell apart. And uh, they, were, they were talking to the newspapers and saying, you know, they're got some really bad ideas. No, they got some bad ideas and all that stuff. And, but then the, the doc said, okay, uh, to my dad, you can go home, but you cannot go back into that. That's too stressful. That's what caused this problem. And uh, you can't do that. Well, a week later, he got them back together, and uh, a month or so later, they finished it. And that's how we desegregated schools peacefully in Dallas. Not happily for a lot of people, but peacefully. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was pretty rare for big cities mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. in the South to do that. That's quite a feat. Yeah, and he died a few years later, mm -hmm. four years, four or five years later. And I, he was 67. I'm pretty sure that shortened his life. That's young. Yeah. That's really young. Yeah. The mother lived to be 99 and a half. I'm trying to track her. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. You know, um, you have been so involved also in education. Uh -huh. And uh, what's been one of your greatest joys of all of the community activities that you've been involved in? Well, certainly uh, nine years on the Dallas School Board, three as president. Uh, we made some real progress. And uh, we got uh, uh, <laughs> one of my biggest accomplishments that or I thought uh, was uh, the uh, the annual appraisal of the superintendent was purely subjective of the trustees. And uh, I put a team together to come up with a more objective appraisal uh -huh. and where we went from. Uh, and there was, I can't remember exactly, but 50% was going to be on academic achievement, 30% was going to be on financial management, and 20% or something was going to be on stakeholder satisfaction. And the stakeholders were uh, the uh, students and their parents was one set of stakeholders, uh, the, uh, the owners, which is the taxpayers, uh, the employees, uh, and maybe there are just four, uh, and the trustees. Those were going to be the four stakeholder groups. And we actually did surveys. We didn't just what did it think? right. Yeah, we did, did it just right. like you do a you know Gallup survey or something. Mm -hmm. uh, so the the uh, the trustees went from a hundred percent to four <laughs> percent. Oh my goodness! And it was much much more objective about, you know, and we had goals, you know, and how are we doing against the graduation rates and reading at the third grade level or whatever it was. Uh, so, uh, 
Well, and, and another one that I was particularly proud of at the school district, while I was president, we had a big financial bust. Uh, and we had a, I can't remember, I think it turned out to be about a $70 million budget overrun. And well, that's out of a billion and then a half, but still, still. it's a big number. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, and we didn't figure it out till a month or so after the year was over. We didn't spot it during the course of the year. Ooh. So, uh, uh, and there was a lot of push to get rid of the superintendent. And I thought, it's Mike Lane Hosu who's back now, but uh, I thought he was doing a good job on the education side. If it, that wasn't working, I couldn't help him, but I can help you with finances. And uh, so I supported him and we kept him and we got the budget. We had a surplus the next year. Uh, and I was, I chaired, it's crazy. I chaired five boards that year. Uh, In a year? That year, yeah. Oh my gosh. And we changed three CEOs. Mm. So that's just coincidence, but it's not that I'm not unwilling to make a change if I think it's the right thing for the organization. Mm -hmm. I just didn't think it was the right thing for the organization. And I, I think I was right because uh, things have gone well. So many, so many community activities. In fact, um, I want to bring accolades to you on uh, receiving the National Association of Corporate Directors Lifetime Achievement Award. And one of your teachable points of view is to give back, and you certainly have. I, I, here's what I wrote down, speaking of boards. You tell me if this is right. You've served on 30 nonprofit boards, yep. chaired 15 of them. Yes. On nine other boards and corporate chaired boards. corporate yeah. boards and chaired three of them. Yes. That's a lot of boards. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, here's what I want the audience to uh, hear. So many beautiful things were said about you. I'm quoting. I didn't ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Quote. You've cast a tremendous leadership shadow, Jack, to the many people you've touched. Jack Lowe is a complete leader. Isn't that lovely? A complete leader. Very generous, yeah. And Jack has a moral center from where he makes decisions. How's that make you feel? Yeah, I, I appreciate whoever said that. Mm, that's quite something. You know, they say that at the top, I've heard many people who are at the top say this, it gets lonely at the top. Is that true? No, I wasn't lonely. I had Bob and Ben, but others. Mm -hmm. uh, no, it, it was, I mean, there were decisions I had to make and there were some hard ones, mm -hmm. but uh, no, it wasn't lonely at all. I loved it. And part of that is because you had partners yeah. around you. Yeah. I want to go to your teachable points of view and have you expand on some of them. Jack, one of them is trust until people prove they are not trustworthy. Yeah. Well, I, I think well, there's sort of two ways you can go about that. One, you can, uh, you know, not trust somebody until they prove they're trustworthy, yeah. but that takes a long time. It takes energy. And, uh, uh, or you can just trust them. And, you know, every once in a while you get a big disappointment. But it's much faster. It's much easier. Uh, and uh, I think it uh, builds relationships much faster. 
uh, so I, I just, that's what I've always done. And I've gotten punched in the nose a few times about it too, because they turned out they weren't trustworthy. But uh, 99 times out of 100, it's, they are. And, and that's good to hear, because yes, we all have those times when, gosh, we really felt like somebody was trustworthy and then find out they're not. Yeah. But you just don't let that bother you. You just keep on. Yeah. All right, here's another one. If you do, if what you do is who you are, it's hard to retire. Yeah. Did you find it hard to retire? No, not at all. I was talking to Harold about it today. Um, no, it was it was easy. It was easy. And I had other things. I'd just mm -hmm. run for the school board a couple of years earlier, knowing I was going to retire. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, I had, it was easy. It yeah. was, it wasn't, who, I mean, I was very proud of what I did. But uh, I hear people, if you ask some people, who are you? They'll say, you know, I'm CEO of TD Industries. Right. Uh, I don't I don't think I ever said that. If I did, I didn't mean it. <laughs> That's what? not who I was. It was uh, it's what I did, and I was proud to do it, and I worked hard at it. But it wasn't who I was. I was more, uh, it was, wasn't near as important as being a dad and a husband. No. Uh, Get your priorities being, being straight. Being a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is unusual, I have to say. There's yeah. just a lot of people who retire and they were Agonized. and still are yeah. who they were yeah. and now well, they're not. And oh my goodness. The three of us uh, that uh, worked together, one of us, that was harder <laughs> for him. Yeah. Well, everyone is different. Yeah. But we, right. knew we were retired. In fact, we met, I think, once a month for five years, went to lunch to talk about this retirement and what's we, how we're going to live through it. And, and had a, a, one of my best friends was Kearney Leday and Kearney, he was actually on our board as well. And, and Kearney, and he had retired from Xerox Corporation. Uh, so uh, he had been through it. So we'd get together and talk about it and uh, sort of prepared us for it. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's just gone. Yeah. Succession planning. All right. Have each other's back. Take care of what's in front of you and count on your buddies to take care of what's in front of them. I think that goes to the 80s. And what happened in the 80s, Jack? Well, in the late 80s, the, the Texas economy collapsed. Mm -hmm. um, all the banks in Texas up until that time were state chartered. There was no city bank or... J.P. Morgan Chase or anybody like that. It, they were all state chartered banks. Mm -hmm. Of the 10 largest banks in Texas, nine of them went broke. Uh, Frost Bank's the only one that survived. Of the 10 largest mechanical contractors in the country, six of them were headquartered in Texas. We're the only one that survived. So it was a very, very bad time. And, and, uh, but uh, the partners, uh, we did a lot of things. This isn't the only thing that happened, but one of the key things that, that uh, got us through that, uh, we had a, uh, a defined benefit retirement plan, and it was a million dollars overfunded. Most of them were underfunded, but ours right. was overfunded. But the only way we could get that million dollars out was to terminate the plan. So uh, I called a meeting of Everybody had been there over five years. We, they got their pictures on the wall. You've seen them. This, we call it the Oak Room Council. And uh, uh, so one night, we all got together, and uh, I explained to them 
they knew things were tough, but they didn't know how bad it was. Mm. We owed the bank $15 million. Our bank went broke, so we owed the federal government $15 million because the federal government took over. Uh, so uh, we were in dire, dire straits. And I told them there's some things we're going to do, but also that I think we need to terminate that retirement plan. So the company will get a million bucks that's overfunded, but we're going to distribute $4 million to us. And I think we need $2 million to survive. Uh, I don't know where I came up with that number. Good number. <laughs> Made it up. But uh, so, uh, and the only place I, and I've talked to bankers, investors, other people, nobody was interested in lending us any money or supporting us. So the only place I know is out of that $4 million. And uh, so that night, we actually came up with sort of a fair share formula for, uh, you know, if you've been here, if you're just about to retire, maybe a fair share would be to put 10% back in. Mm -hmm. If you're 30, maybe 40% back in. I don't remember what the numbers were. Uh, and I said, all right, that, that's the deal. Nobody will know who does it and who doesn't do it. And it, your job's not contingent on it, but uh, I'm asking for your support. And I went to, uh, met with just about everybody in the company over the next few weeks, went to job sites and had Goodness. talked about it. And, uh, and uh, anyway, if everybody had given the fair share formula, we knew we had to make it more than a million because wasn't everybody going to do it. Right. We'd have raised a million and a half. We raised a million three and it saved the company. So that's, that's incredible. That's trust and that's partnership and and you know trust you can't when you get in a crisis you can't run build trust quite quick you gotta no. have it going in <laughs> oh my goodness i i can't even imagine i remember the 80s for so many people it was unbelievable yeah and don't you wonder now with the covid all of the things that are happening yeah yeah and the the trust that some people uh just last night was watching the news and one of the um business owners was being interviewed and he talked about his his little trattoria was coming back uh, by gosh because it was family and it was trust and it was all the things you're talking about yeah. and he was so positive you couldn't help but leave thinking and he will be back and yeah. he will come back and that's that's just great a couple of more i don't want to hold i don't want to leave out hold people accountable you said for those two things produce business results and help those around you grow. I want to pull back to that just because as people are wanting now coming back from COVID, everyone is wanting to get back to productivity. In fact, I find that so many people are even more productive working out of their homes. What I'm hearing is, oh my goodness, I'm working more hours, I'm getting more things done it's actually been good. Uh -huh. And so as, as people come back into the workplace, whatever that looks like, Jack, what piece of advice would you give to, let's say, your partners yeah. as they come back? You know, we're still all in this thing together. Uh, one of the things I, if I could, we talked about today is I uh, wonder what it does to the culture of love amongst partners to not see each other face to face often. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I don't know, you got to see them every day, but uh, never, Mm -hmm. uh, except on TV or on your computer screen. On the Zoom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, That would concern me. That would be a question to me. Uh, But it's not my job. Well, the man in charge... Harold will be on the show. He'll be talking about that, I'm sure, and uh-huh. many leaders are still trying to figure it all out. No yeah. one has all the answers. I've heard different people say quite different things. Uh, I'm on one corporate board still, and uh, uh, they're trying to get everybody back in the office because they yeah. think people aren't working as hard at home mm. and aren't getting as much done because they got distractions and one thing and another. Now, they're not wasting time traveling too but uh, uh, I don't know if that's right but that's that's what they think and I heard uh, Doug Parker CEO of American Airlines American Airlines uh, speak uh, here a while back or be interviewed and uh, his executives never quit working from the office and uh, he wants to get more of them more people back mm-hmm. in the office now others are gone and not ever coming back so I, I don't know what the it's right piece is there. Go. The one I, the one, the, the concern I have is, uh, you know, that's a strange word for a business organization, but it's, and it took a while for us to spit it out. But uh, love, uh, um, do we love each other? Talk to some construction workers, and the guy says, "Well, love is more." Uh, I can't remember the word he used. And he, he, after a while, he said, you know, I think it is love. <laughs> Even the plumber he said He did it. say it. Yeah. Yeah. And that isn't used in corporate speak, is it? Yeah. Not no, much. Yeah. Not much. I've got a couple of zinger questions Let's before go. we go. Let's Are go. you ready? Sure. All right. If you could play any role in Hollywood, what would it be? <laughs> I would not play any role in Hollywood, I don't think. A, a part in a movie or be a producer sure. or... Well, oh, you know, the above. they come to you and say, you can be a cowboy or you can be a gangster or you can be a Romeo. Would you play any of those parts? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm much of an actor, but uh, uh, I, I like cowboys. I like, uh, uh, I don't know. We'll put you down for cowboy. Okay. That's a good one. Cowboy. <laughs> What should have happened to you and didn't? Uh, well, you know, uh, I told you recently uh, that my wife died. And uh, we were coming up on thir- my second wife, incidentally. Uh, but uh, we were coming up on 34 years. But we had 30 incredible years. Mm. And three kind of tough ones. as She went through a long, slow decline. Uh, and that's 10 to one. I'm a gambler. I'll take 10 to one odds anytime I can get them. And people asked me, they were surprised when dad died that I wasn't more upset. And I'm sure this is partly a coping mechanism, but my attitude was I was so lucky to have him in my life for 40 years. It would be ungrateful to say, I wish I'd had him 60. Mm. Uh, it, uh, so, uh, you know, I thought I had the possibility of playing fo- pro football, 
uh, thought I had the possibility of being CEO of General Electric, <laughs> but and that didn't happen. And that's fine. I've been so lucky in my whole life uh, that uh, you know there's a few things went this way and that way that wasn't what I was expecting at the time. But uh, I, I'm not. I'm just blessed. Not <laughs> I've been lucky. Better be lucky than smart. So I've been any lucky. day, right? Yeah. You know, Jack, I don't have any more questions after that. That is probably one of the most beautiful answers uh, of losing someone, more than one person that anyone could give. And again, that just says so much about who you are. So with all sincerity and from my heart, thank you. Thank you for just being real for the years you have given this city, our community, and of course your company. Yeah. So I am proud to wear <laughs> this hat and say thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Valerie. <laughs> and y'all come back. You hear? That's what we say in Texas. Until <laughs> next time, we just say be blessed and stay happy. Think gratitude. There's way too many things that you cannot be grateful for. Forget about it. Be grateful. It really helps. When you're grateful, you can't think about what you don't have. That's it for now. See you next week. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.